Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. Before all of this uh, began, uh, pretty much the whole world was turned into a capitalist system, right? Globalization, etc. And, uh, and, and capitalism has had a psychological effect on human beings. For one thing, it's a profane system, a secular system, and, uh, and we have been indoctrinated for over a hundred years in, uh, in a belief in scientism, materialism, uh, consumerism, uh, and, uh, and an ever more dumbed down educational system that has caused us to lose our curiosity for uh, higher truth. And, uh, and we have also seen the corruption of the religious institutions uh, that uh, have caused us to uh, justify our cynicism and uh, our um, turning away from uh, the uh, traditional values that were the cornerstone and the, uh, the, the source of strength and meaningfulness in human culture. So, I want to talk a little bit about value, okay? So, I want, I'm going to refer to what I'm calling the seven-cubed axes of axiology. Now, axiology is the study of value. It's, it's a, a long-known, uh, let's say, a sub-discipline of philosophy. For some, it's, it's even a sub-sub-discipline of ethics, but for others, uh, axiology is primary, and ethics derives from that. But I think we can also call it the Tao of complete capitalism. Okay, so my contention here is that the problem is not capitalism per se, but although capi what capitalism has done is, is shifted from the source of value, which in the classical world was, uh, was the good, literally. Plato called it the good. In ancient Greece, the good or the one it was the source of all value. Everything derives from the one. And, uh, and so that which is most in alignment with the one, with the goodness that derives from uh, that ultimate reality, gives us uh, the understanding of what is valuable at the level of the phenomenal plane of life. But because it is all considered an emanation from the ultimate good, uh, and the, the good then at the second level becomes the good mind of God, or the demiurgos, 
and the demiurgos creates, <clears throat> the, let's say, the blueprint of reality, what Jung would call the archetypes uh, of reality. He would call it the archetypes of the unconscious. <clears throat> but really, it would be the superconscious of the mind of the, the, uh, the mind of God or the mind of the One that then <clears throat> uh, creates copies in the form of nature, nature uh, in, in its formed uh, mode, natura naturata, as Spinoza called it, versus natura naturans, which is that level of the blueprints of what forms can appear in the ecosystems of the actual world. And then humans in our culture create copies of the copies. You know, we create gardens and we create uh, buildings, we develop architecture that's in alignment with what we perceive to be the laws of nature, the Fibonacci series and all of the other ways uh, that we have understood uh, nature to be uh, coherent and expressive of beauty and of truth that we then express in cultural forms. And these are the simulacra of those archetypal blueprints uh, at that platonic level of mind, the uh, forms and uh, of ideas that are reached by the sages who then download them and deploy them as uh, cultural uh, artifacts and uh, ideas that, that can be uh, used in a, uh, a practical form. So that was value, but then when capital, capitalism came in, value became capital, and it turned into wealth. And wealth is always something that is related to power, to utilitarian purpose, and to egocentric perspective. So uh, wealth became uh, the, uh, the new form of value, and wealth pertained to individuals, that they could transfer to their uh, families and their descendants if they wanted, but now uh, value was privatized. And in the old uh, cultures, there was a common wealth, but now private property deprives the, the people of that common wealth for the most part, and there is just individual wealth and a struggle uh, for individuals wealth and power. So uh, we have overvalorized economic capital. And because we are now in a situation where the economies of most of the world are bankrupt, economic capital is vanishing. The U.S. dollar, which is still technically the reserve currency of the world, is fast losing its value. And it only retains it in relation to other currencies because they have even less. But there will come a moment where that system will collapse and the dollar will be worthless. And so no matter how many dollars you might have saved up in your bank account or under your mattress, they won't be worth anything. And soon it'll anyway be Bitcoin or some other crypto, but that also will not be based on any system of value. Even gold uh, will, since you can't eat it or drink it, will soon uh, not be uh, 
a, uh, provide the basis for a system of economic exchange uh, that uh, will be required under the conditions that we will soon be facing. Now, a, another a philosopher or uh, sociologist, really, in the 60s in France, a man named Pierre Bourdieu, <clears throat> developed the idea of social capital and cultural capital. And in those days, it was a very simple idea, but it, it, it showed that uh, economic capital was not the only form of capital that we could build up. And if we uh, had enough cultural capital, we would be able to attract the economic capital that otherwise would not uh, come to us, and the social capital. Uh, so uh, that became uh, the focus for, let's say, the middle classes who were not able to uh, amass uh, huge amounts of private wealth, but it, according to who they knew, according to uh, what connections you could make, you could find a niche in the society that would provide you with a certain income and with certain possibilities. But uh, now even uh, social and uh, cultural capital is disappearing. And so we live in a situation where uh, those forms of, of value and wealth and security that we depended on are gone. If you were an academic, you depended on you know, having a university to teach in, but when they're closed, what do you do? Uh, and uh, the doctors used to be able to treat people according to their wisdom. Well, now you can't do that anymore. Uh, you, you have, there, there are many cures, for example, for coronavirus that you know, you're not allowed to use even though you know it works. Your, your capacity to function in, uh, in nearly all the fields that uh, provided income are disappearing. The businesses that provided income for most people are gone. The restaurants, the theaters, uh, nearly all of the socially based uh, institutions, the pubs and uh, all, all of the organizations that uh, brought uh, social capital into being. Uh, have vanished, right? So now we have uh, an entirely different world where those options no longer exist. So the, uh, the point that I am making is that every form of capital is vanishing except one uh, form. And, and so therefore, the more we can amass that form of capital, the better off we are. So I want to talk to you about the forms of capital, the dimensions of capital, and the modes of production, uh, manifestation, and enjoyment of capital.
<laughs> so we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, and of course we'll put seven up uh, a little bit later when we can erase and have a little more space. So first of all, let's talk about uh, uh, physical capital. And I'm going to propose that we have seven kinds of capital. Well, the seventh, uh, let's see, I'll put it here. Uh, of course, it's spiritual capital. And my point is soon spiritual capital will be the only one left. Uh, so here we have, uh, in physical, we have... world conditions, body conditions, uh, umwelt conditions, uh, sensual conditions, or degree of sensual gratification, sensitivity, sensibility and sense, okay? So those are the seven. So let me explain a little bit about them. I think we have already talked about world conditions, that they are not good anymore. They don't provide you with, uh, with the kind of health and the kind of, uh, of uh, life that is worth very much anymore. The world has degraded, not only because of the lockdown and all of that, but just simply because of the, uh, the destruction of the environment, uh, and, of course, food shortages now that will be increasing, and the, uh, the, the natural conditions, look at all the wildfires happening in California, the floods in China, the locusts throughout Africa and Asia, right? We, we're seeing a world where the, the living conditions are now uh, falling into uh, a state where the, the value and the potentialities of life are being lost. <coughs> One's bodily uh, physical condition of health or of attractiveness might remain, but the conditions are, are leading to a deterioration even in that uh, kind of, uh, of capital. And uh, the, the conditions are, are not uh, looking very good for a, a healthy world. People can no longer even go to the gym in most cities in the world. They, they can no longer uh, have the kind of exercise they took for granted. And, uh, and people's lives have been impoverished and, and bodies have suffered along with that. The sensuous richness of one's umwelt, in other words, one has a, a personal environment that one uh, uh, has... Uh, uh, various kinds of uh, beauty and, uh, and uh, 
let's say, uh, physical opportunities of enjoyment, those are being taken away. People can't go to the neighborhood park anymore. They, they are uh, they're shut away from enjoying uh, what uh, was available in their neighborhood and, and in their immediate uh, life zones. So uh, the, the life has become impoverished for most people. And, uh, and because of the lockdown separating people, there's very little gratification of, of connectivity that's going on. People are very lonely and, uh, and they are very uh, scared. So the sensitivity to these conditions, the, the people's, uh, let's say, emotional immune systems are collapsing. They're becoming very sensitive to all of these, uh, these changes and affected by them in a very negative way. Sensitivity can also be something very positive when you can sense the subtleties and the beauties and all of that, but when it becomes negative, uh, everything that you are sensitive to becomes uh, uh, something that, uh, that, that creates more despair, more uh, sense of hopelessness. And one's sensibility, meaning one's uh, ability to understand uh, what is happening, is, is being lost in the confusion, the disinformation and misinformation, the conspiracy theories, the censorship of the internet, the, the, all, all of the kinds of things that are happening that are creating a confusion in our sensibility. And sense itself, things don't make sense anymore to most people. And if you live in a world where nothing makes sense, it's very difficult then to plan your life or to, uh, to, have, uh, to, to avoid uh, almost going mad. And I think that that's happening to many people. Sense, uh, Heidegger defines sense as having two levels, existential and what was, uh, has been called existential. Uh, and and this this term existential versus existential as in existentialism is also common with many other philosophers like Karl Jaspers etc. And uh, it, it really means those particular assets and liabilities of one's uh, personal life. The existential is more, how do I direct my life? What's my existence about? What, uh, what is the meaning of my life? What do I want to accomplish? And all of that. Well, that's been lost because the ability to uh, accomplish things uh, and a world in which those things even existed to accomplish are gone. If you were an actor, you, your career is over. If you, most people's careers are over and whatever they were, were doing. Uh, and so the... Uh, the, 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 the world no longer makes sense and people have to kind of reinvent themselves, which is very difficult to do. Sans in French also, of course, means uh, uh, direction, like a sans unique, uh, one-way street, or uh, the, the, the dans le sens of the uh, going uh, with the grain if you're a woodworker, right? You don't want to go against the grain. But now uh, everything is against the grain. There, there's no more flow, there's no annealing, there's no way in which things can be coordinated and organized among lots of people. 
very few communities still exist and are uh, possible to be sustained because of the various uh, uh, obstacles that have been put in the way for people. So the physical capital is, uh, has disappeared. I know that we're, we're going to run out of time if, uh, to, to get through all of these, so I'm, I'm not going to write them all down. I'm going to go through the others without uh, writing them. But let me also uh, talk about the dimensions of all of these. Can I have the eraser? So each of these values, these seven forms of value that each have seven modes of expression and, and enjoyment, also have seven dimensions. Each one can be enjoyed on the horizontal plane, meaning simply as a phenomenal a reality that's expressed uh, socially or in one's life, a vertical plane in which uh, one uh, recognizes the possibilities of sublimating these values to ever higher levels to, to enable uh, a more, uh, let's say, a, a high level of artistry to be attained, a depth dimension in which one can perceive the, uh, the, the, the kairos significance rather than the chronos, the significance of, of its, uh, its relationship to the, the core values of life and then the core value itself or the, the central point uh, of awareness of, of these different values and modes of, of, of wealth or capital. And then the, those famous Lacanian trio, that there's an imaginary way that, uh, that these things get expressed uh, in the form of uh, artifacts of culture. There are the symbolic implications, the, the metaphorical significance that is implicit, and, and then that which is real, that which is uh, transcendent, let's say, of the, uh, of the plane of, of its phenomenal expression. So I'm going to go quickly through all of these. The economic capital, which is mostly, of course, fictional, uh, has these seven modes. You can be born into old money, okay, which gives you a very different relationship to wealth than if you're born to new money or to no money. Uh, so, you, the, so the first one is past. Uh, the second is present uh, economic capital, your current income. Uh, and your current uh, uh, situation economically. Then there's the future, which is your prospective economic uh, and financial conditions. 
Then there's the liquidity of your, uh, your economic capital, its degree of compounding of interest, if any, its multi-level uh, nature. Do you, do you make your money only from uh, one, uh, one level or do you make it from the immediate uh, uh, profits plus dividends plus whatever other uh, way in which uh, you've arranged for income to come in and there's lots of them if you're a good capitalist and is there a diversity of, uh, of sources of income or were you stuck with one? So that's the economic capital, and I'm not going to go into all the details, because probably not too many people have too much of it anyway anymore, uh, who are here. So, uh, uh, but it's a, uh, it's a reality that those who, who do have some money and are in danger of losing it are, uh, are, are starting to come out of denial about, and it becomes very scary to them. Okay, so then we'll go right on to the social capital. It's seven modes where the quality of life you had in your family of origin, how traumatic was it, how, how cohesive was your family, how healthy, uh, how much uh, uh, goodness, how much uh, support for the development of your uh, ego capacities and your soul uh, capacities were you given. Uh, and, and so that's the family of origin, then the current family you're in, or a current partner, or a current life situation, how, uh, how, how, how good is it, how, what's the quality of it, how much support are you getting, how much uh, uh, recognition, understanding, compassion, etc. Then your friendships, uh, do you have friends, do you uh, have people you can really talk to about the situation and, and who get you. And then there's the, the whole social capital made up of your titles, the organizations uh, that you belong to, whatever power they have, the licenses that you might have, the colleagues who have positions uh, that can help you get uh, jobs and uh, sinecures of different kinds. And, uh, and then next, the market for whatever is your, uh, your social specialization and your mobility. Uh, can you shift to different uh, places and use your skills in different ways and in different uh, life situations? Most of that has been lost as a result of this uh, pandemic for most people. Oh, and then finally, the, your diversity of options. Do you play in the little leagues or the big leagues, and or the some uh, minor leagues? Uh, how how uh, how big of a, a level of uh, social uh, capital are you are you playing with? Okay, then we go into intellectual capital, which has seven modes, how, and this is your knowledge base because we're in a knowledge economy in the West. How much historical knowledge do you have? How much philosophical understanding do you have? How, how aware are you of current events? How much specific knowledge do you have that enables you to succeed in your profession or your, uh, your uh, way of making a living? How exotic is your, uh, your understanding? How much do you understand uh, things that no one else does? and uh, how integrative is your knowledge. 
how, how, how many dots are you able to connect and put together and therefore uh, creatively uh, come up with new ideas that can uh, get you to succeed in situations of adversity? And how pragmatic is your knowledge? How, how useful is it? How practical? There's a, a lot of knowledge that's simply you know, useless and has no market value. So that's the intellectual capital. Then there's the psychological capital that has its seven modes. One is how much theoretical knowledge do you have about your own psychodynamics and the psychodynamics of other people? How, how much theory do you have that's accurate, okay? And then how much experiential knowledge do you have? How much can you actually get out of a bad mood by yourself or a, a, a hysterical meltdown? Or, or are you dependent on other people and therapists to get you out? And can you help other people who are stuck in quicksand of, of emotional uh, uh, self-attacks and, uh, and, and disastrous states of uh, feeling? How much strength do you have uh, to not only uh, deal with the losses that, that we are all facing, but to help other people stand firm in the face of, of these situations that we will be dealing with without collapsing. How much balance do you have and agility of adaptation when you have to change your course in order to deal with, uh, with changes in the environment that may be sudden and radical? How much humor do you have? How much joy and capacity of love do you have? that can help you survive in situations that can be pretty dark? How much resilience do you have? How fast can you bounce back from uh, a, a defeat or, or a loss? And what's the level of your epistemophilia, to use a Melanie Klein term? How much are you willing and able to learn, to know, to be able to face uh, what uh, will require a lot more knowledge than you currently have? Or, or are you stuck with a, a database that's obsolete? Most people, after they get to a certain age, they can't learn anything new. I think I'm partly in that category, unfortunately, <laughs> uh, at least when it comes to computers and things like that. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we, are, we are in a mode where we better be open to ongoing learning. Okay, so then there's cultural capital, which has uh, its modes, uh, and and uh, again, we're in a culture that is broken down, and that even before the pandemic, its, its nature had become fractured and fragmented into uh, a classical, a modernist culture, and a postmodern, and various subcultures within the postmodern that, that all are, are very different. So some people have a great deal of canonic cultural capital. In other words, they can recognize classical music. They know Bach from Chopin, but uh, they wouldn't know uh, the Beatles from the Rolling Stones or, or even the names of who's current, which I'm in that category. So, uh, but, uh, but if you're stuck with a canonic cultural knowledge base, but you don't have the knowledge that can relate to the culture that you might uh, be uh, in and stuck with and have to adapt to, you could be in trouble. And how much contemporary cultural uh, adaptation do you have? How much do you get the current forms uh, of cultural expression? 
how much strength of cultural commitment do you have to the development of your own vision of what human culture can be and should be? What is your capacity to reassemble, in other words, to create a cultural renaissance in the, in the very face of the collapse of a culture? What is your openness to difference, to people of different cultures and the ability to connect and create new cultures out of different fragmented cultural uh, uh, pieces? Uh, how how uh, open are you and able to, uh, to bring cohesiveness to, to people who are uh, from different cultural backgrounds and, and belief systems? Uh, what is your capacity to adapt to the emerging markets of cultural innovation? And how can you relate uh, using, uh, putting the old wine in new bottles, uh, to use a very old cultural expression, or the uh, 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 maybe new wine into old bottles in some cases? And then what is the level of your own creative intensity and your own discernment of what has creative value outside of all of the, the cultural differences that has, let's say, eternal value? In any case, all of these modes of cultural capital are threatened now by the collapse of the general culture. And I think a cultural renaissance, it becomes an urgent necessity of creating something new that does not partake in what is dying, but that offers a new vision, a new hope, a new mode of moving forward in this uh, time of death of a, of a planetary civilization. So finally, we get the spiritual capital. Now that's what Satyoga is about, is helping you to increase your spiritual capital. That's probably the only thing we can be of any service to you with, but uh, the perspective I'm taking is that spiritual capital is now worth more than all the other kinds combined if you can uh, amass it and transmit it and share it and, uh, and reproduce it and, and get it to be disseminated widely. So the first level of capital is divine love. If, are, are you able to emanate divine love? Not specific love for a particular being or object, but that divine love that's unconditional and uh, universal, and real and authentic, not just uh, talking it. And how, what's the strength of your inner luminosity? How radiant are you? What, what is the, the intensity of the inner light that shines from you and that uh, is able to be offered to others. And what power have you achieved spiritually? Siddha. I don't mean individual siddhis, although those might also appear the paranormal uh, abilities, but, uh, but that spiritual power that then gives birth to all of the other potentialities of the spiritual nature. Uh, how, how strong is it? And what is the stability of your uh, spiritual uh, status, let's say, as, as someone liberated or realized or at least master over the ego consciousness? Is it stable or does it wobble? Does it oscillate and collapse occasionally? And what is the actual intensity of your power? How much Shakti are you able to channel and, uh, and, and contain and, uh, and, and transmit remotely as well as in local space. 
And what is the level of genius you can download? What kind of ideas, inspirations, uh, new understandings, new ways of uh, organizing reality based on uh, the will of God, not the, the human level of consciousness? And how much bliss are you in? Do, do you have the bliss of liberation, or is that just something that you're aspiring to and that you depend on outside of circumstances or objects or people or chemistry to help you to be able to experience. So this uh, spiritual capital is of urgent requirement to, uh, to increase and to share. And the more that we do that, I believe that that, that will become the basis of the new culture, the new world, the new order that will come about but it really has to be authentic, and it has to be driven by love and that creative intensity of a spirit itself, not a desire to harness it by an ego, but the actual surrender to the purity of spirit that wants to come through. Okay. Uh, I think that's the end of my rant for this evening, because we're running out of time. How many people found that that had any use value? <laughs> okay, it probably has no exchange value, so I hope it has some use value. Uh, but in any case, um, we will continue to be uh, talking about the, the spiritual capital, and uh, maybe some of the others, but uh, the point of Sat Yoga is to increase that mostly through meditation. And that means transcendent of the level of ego thought, because ego thought dissipates your energy. It scatters it. It, it gets entangled in, uh, in negativity and in mundanity. And it doesn't allow you to bring in those higher levels of vibrational frequency and retain them and charge your batteries so that you become extremely powerful as beings of light that we are, and that we must again shine as and share with in order to light the world again and uh, break through the uh, cloud of depressive darkness that is covering the world and bring about uh, a new golden age through the wisdom that we will have gained by going through this rite of passage of global uh, cultural and social collapse and even the loss of our uh, physical environment that uh, will no longer support life. And to recognize that the source of life is not nature, but is the God of nature, the source uh, from which nature derives its being and from which all of us emerge. And to return to that source and to channel the power of that source back into of the phenomenal reality by dreaming it again. All of this is a dream, and that dream has now become stale and exhausted. The quantum wave function that holds the world in place must be decollapsed. Freedom at that complete level of the unifying field of consciousness must return, and the world can and will be redreamed from that level of God consciousness to bring back the purity, the perfection of the beauty, the love, the joy that is uh, our birthright 
and our power to, uh, to recreate as soon as we return to the true nature of who and what we really are. So thank you all for, uh, for being so kind and listening to all this. And uh, hopefully uh, we can uh, all together make use of the, of the knowledge that we all have about ourselves, about our, our relationship to nature and to spirit, and to really unify all of that uh, psychological and spiritual energy into a, a single field of coherent uh, power that will, in fact, redream the world as our, uh, our child. Our, uh, our final cultural product that is the, uh, the reflection of the joy, the love, the beauty, the goodness, the purity that all of us really have in our hearts that now we have to pull out all the stops and let shine to the full. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.